Hello and welcome to the Coaching Podcast, coaching for success in sport and business. Your host is Emma Doyle, the energy and high performance under pressure coach who is a world leader in unleashing human potential. Buckle up for this high octane session. Let them have it, coach. G'day, everybody, and welcome to the Coaching Podcast. It is my honour and pleasure to be interviewing Dr. Patrick Williams. He's an MCC, ICF qualified coach. But not only that, he's the founder of the Institute for Life Coach Training. He's been executive coaching since 1990. He's written thousands of books, and I'll go, I could, could go on and on. I won't. I'll welcome you straight off the bat, Pat. How are you? And welcome to the Coaching Podcast. I'm very well. I don't know about the thousands of books, but at least I've sold thousands of books. So we'll say that. I'm good. I'm good. Life is good. I played golf this morning and the sun is shining now and I'm going for a walk by the river later, which is behind my, that picture is behind my house. So that's the river I'll walk by. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, I certainly look forward to exploring all of those concepts and lots more. But look, we'll get into our our questions. The first question is the Australian spread, the Vegemite question. You either love it or you've never tried it or you strongly dislike it. What, what's your take on Vegemite? Well, I've actually had five trips to Australia. So by the third trip, I actually started liking it. It's kind of like, wow, you know, this is like having some bitter whatever but if, if it's good for you it's supposed to taste bad like medicine so <laughs> yeah i mean you know i like it i mean i wouldn't i'm glad america doesn't have it but you know it's yeah i love that i love that because most people try it once and then they just discount it but you went back again 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 so already i'm a big fan of your uh tasting skills all right uh let's go with therefore the follow-up question as you're probably well aware your best coaching moment i'm sure you've had many over the years but is there one that sticks out that you could share with us and what were the lessons oh wow i'm trying to think back to early clients um coaching moment. I, I mean, I, I think the best coaching moments are going to be the more recent because my coaching has changed a lot since when I started and how it's become refined. Um, I have a new client. Well, I shouldn't name his name, but um, he's with the government, um, actually in the commercial space agency which I thought was cool because I said, well, I don't know anything about exploring space, but I do want to see pictures of the aliens. And he laughed, but we had a great, we had great transformational coaching because he loved in his new role, he loved having someone to talk to that didn't know what he did, that didn't work in the government, that didn't do that. And he, he appreciated that I gave him great listening space and then sent him little follow-up articles he might like. So I think all those kind of moments when I coach somebody in a profession that I may not know much about and getting them to appreciate the fact that I'm not a consultant, I'm not supposed to know what they do, I'm here to ask the questions that somebody else may not. And so he's the most recent, but that's what coaching is for me and way different from what I did as a psychologist. So mm. that's my answer. Oh, I love that. And I'd love to already want to, I already want to know what's the difference, but I'm sure we're going to get to that. Yeah. What about on the flip side, uh, Dr. Pat, can you share a moment that didn't go so well and what might be a lesson or two? It could be in that chapter one there, uh, up to you. Yeah, there's, 
sometimes there's a client I just don't connect with. And when I interview potential clients, I decide not only are they right for me, but am I right for them? Now, I get some referred to me through an agency that coaches um, people in a certain profession, financial advisors, uh, etc. And, you know, I try to tell them I'm not the consultant. I'm not here to help you grow your business. I'm here to look at your your whole life, your leadership, your ups, your downs, your challenges, your stresses. And some of them are so, what's the word, um, overly logical, pedantic. I don't know what the word is, but they just, they want to, they want somebody to help them with their business. They don't get this whole person coaching. So it's not bad. I mean, I haven't had a worse moment. Nobody fired me or anything, but it, those aren't the clients I would pick privately. Mm. You know, those are clients that were sent to me who chose me and they're not always as compatible as somebody else who finds me through referral. I mean, I always ask people, have you interviewed other coaches? I want to make sure there's a fit for you and a fit for me. So there's no worse moments. I mean, I haven't had anybody sue me or, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And I think that really highlights the importance of not only are they looking for a coach, but we want to make sure that we're asking the right questions as well yeah. from the, from the word go from that initial yeah, discovery right. call. Uh, I love that because it's, yeah, well, I mean, we're in a service profession. So if I'm going to be of service to them, I want to say, who else have you interviewed? And would you, do you know other coaches you're looking at? Cause I want you to make sure it's a good fit. Mm. And so I encourage them to do that. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, I did. I did have one woman hire me years ago in the early days. She she interviewed three coaches and then she hired me. And I said, why did you hire me? She goes, because your laugh. I wanted some of that. I went, oh, man, I got all these skills, all this learning, all this certification. You hired me because of my laugh. OK, that's <laughs> fine. Well, also, that reminds me just not to take ourselves too seriously. <laughs> Yeah, you know, exactly. We're all human at the end of the day. Exactly. It's exactly. human collaboration, coaching, so much of that. All right. What about a sliding doors moment, as we call it on the coaching podcast? A moment where your life's heading one way and something or someone happens, you mm. have that dramatic turn and you end up going down a different path. Is oh. there one or two that you could share with us? Oh, easy, easy. Because so I was trained in humanistic and transpersonal psychology. I wasn't planning to be a clinical psychologist, but that's where I got my master's and my doctorate. And so I got licensed as a psychologist in Colorado in 1980. And I said, wow, I'm like a, I'm like a sheep in wolf's clothing, <laughs> you know, the other way around. Because I was pretending to be a diagnostician and I, I didn't see people as diagnostic categories or, um, broken, even though I treated some pretty severe disorders from time to time. But then I heard about coaching and I started doing executive coaching in 1990. And then the coaching movement started for me in 1995. That was the sliding door. I went to the first conference in Houston that coach you, which be, and they helped, you know, Thomas Leonard, the creator of coach university and the first international coach federation. So the long story short, is by the second year I was there sitting in between who are now famous authors, Cheryl Richardson and Laura Berman Fortgang. And I stood up and said, 
I'm no longer a psychologist. I'm a coach. And I, and I had tears in my eyes because it was what I was meant to be doing. It's made such a difference in working alongside of people who weren't broken, but who wanted to overcome, recreate, uh, explore their life. Because that's one of my metaphors of life. I'm an explorer. Well, explorers don't always know what's around the next corner. So, you know, we sometimes have to back up and take a different road. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's that's my sliding door. Yeah. Mm, I love that. I really do. And again, for all our listeners out there, uh, prior to this episode, I was telling Dr. Pat that he reminds me of my dad, who is a scientist, but he also then, you know, just for fun, went and studied psychology for 10 years, realizing that he did not want to be a psychologist, but he had all these skills to then go into lecturing, you know, young students in engineering. But what the way that he conducted his lectures was like he was a coach when Uh, I watched him. Uh, lecture. It was really, really fascinating. And, uh, and didn't you tell me he studied Carl Jung and mm-hmm. he was the yeah, so, of the, the young yeah, so as, long as, it, as long as it wasn't Freudian psychology, that's good for <laughs> me. Yeah. I I'm sure I'm sure he knows a lot about that as well. But the, the two of you are both explorers and I, I yeah. love that moment where you have such depth of understanding in both realms that then you really find that moment to say, this is who I am. This is my vocation. This is what I was put on this planet to do. And yes. uh, that that's really awesome. Thank you for yeah. sharing that. Our guiding question, Pat, is in one to a maximum of three words, what do you think makes a great coach? Well, and skill set, you have to be able to have good presence and good curiosity. So maybe I'll lump those together. Um, but that means you have to be very aware of your own rough edges. I mean, the, the things that I'm working on recently, my, my book I wrote called Getting Naked, which will probably create a question you want to ask, <laughs> is, is about, you know, emotional nakedness, emotional vulnerability, et cetera. We coaches need to have lived a life. We need to have overcome, worked through, blasted through, changed, transformed things in our our life. And we're not giving advice to our clients, but we're modeling a life well lived. So that's, maybe that's the second one, whatever I lumped together. So presence and curiosity and then a life well lived. And then I think, a a willingness to be comfortable with not knowing, which I love because as a psychologist, I was supposed to know the protocol. I was introduced as an ex- expert witness in court. I'm going, who? Expert? Expert? What? Who? Uh, to myself. And my brother, who's a lawyer, Harvard grad lawyer, said, you know, you're interesting. This coaching profession is interesting because you get paid for asking questions that neither you nor your client know the answer to. And I get paid for asking questions that I already know the answer to as a lawyer. So. I love that. I think I answered your question. You so, know, yeah. you did. You did. I'm going to give you presence, hyphenated curiosity, awareness, yes. and unknown. How about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you yes. that, but the, the explanations were really Uh, really beautiful and I think that's important too as coaches that we do model 
the behavior of what yeah. we of the curious questions that we ask of our clients. That's yeah, we're, we're not a guru. We're not like a realized being sitting on a mountaintop. You know, there's that old story of the Buddhist monk who the, the, the aspiring student said, well, what did you do before you were enlightened when you worked here at the monastery? Oh, I chopped wood and carry water. Well, what do you do now that you're enlightened? I chop wood and carry water. Yeah. But in an enlightened state. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's that's classic. That's fantastic. Uh, and our last official question is where we ask you to ask us a question. So when you get a chance to meet other successful entrepreneurs and, and remember our audience is sport and business coaches, what's that one question that really sparks your curiosity? The question that I would ask them? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's it's. Well, it's going to relate back to my other comment. It's like, what do you do when you find yourself um, having distractions or losing focus? How, how do you get back to presence? Because we're not effective. And I'm not always masterful. I might be a master coach, but I'm not always masterful. What helps me be masterful is getting back to presence and getting myself out of the way. So my question would be, what do you do when yourself is in the way? You want to give advice. You want to, uh, you're not listening. You're not paying attention. So it's, it's all wrapped up. What do you do when you're not as present as you, I don't want to say should, but would, not as present as uh, coaching, I don't want to say demands either, as coaching is best. What do you do to become more present and in the moment? Mm. I love that question. So that's where my intuition tells me to go next. Taking that concept a little further. And you touched on it already, like, you know, with the, the lawyer already knows the answers to the questions, right? When you were a psychologist, there was many techniques I'm sure that you use where you already knew, you know, the answers that you were looking for or you're giving a solution or you're fixing. So how can coaches go from being a subject matter expert, especially mm. in the workplace, to actually realising that it's not their job to help fix people? So what are some ways that that coaches listening can make that shift because I, I don't know if, to me maybe it's being liberal or something but I feel like it's and my TEDx talk there was the theme was the tipping point like what's that when did that tipping point occur for you and how can we what advice have you got for coaches of when to let go we're not yeah we're we're not the expert yeah we're not the expert about anybody's life. And today there's a lot of specialties in coaching. There's wellness coaches, relationship coaching, trauma-informed coaching, ADD coaching, executive coaching, youth coaching, family coaching. All of those, if I hire a, let's just say if I hire a family business coach, I expect them to know something about running a family business. But as a coach in a specialty, we still don't tell the client what to do. We might have some resources, we might have some knowledge, but coaching questions and, and inquiry can still be the bulk of the conversation. 
If you're a wellness coach, of course, you're going to know some resources and some tips for the client. Maybe you send that to them later. But I think in answer to your question, the tipping point relates to my other answer about presence. I, I wrote a brief article once about work-life balance being a myth. You know, it's a myth because I saw a Cirque du Soleil presentation actually in Denver where they were on horseback in a small tent. It only held 2,500 people. Well, not that small of a tent, but not a big arena. And at intermission, I was talking to the um, performers, and I said, you know, I coach a lot of people on what they need to do to have work-life balance, and you're, you're, what you guys do with balance is amazing. And the guy said, well, obviously you weren't paying attention. I go, what do you mean? He said, we're in a constant state of motion. Balance is only temporary. Oh, my God. Yes, your eyes just, oh, my eye. I said, oh, that is so true. So my goal is to come back to center, to, to my center, to maybe coach my clients on, you use this thing with your arm, you know, that whole thing. So if you're on a teeter-totter or if you're on a sailboat, you're never balanced. You're adjusting constantly balance is a moment so i hope all that made sense i sometimes get off on random um uh, sharing but i that's what i way i live my life i, I mean I, I can take extreme being an explorer i do want to go off on side trips but then i want to come back to my center oh that wasn't a good way no there's a cliff there that's not a good way to go uh so let's come back to the main path mm -hmm. Which brings up the concept of adaptability. Oh, yeah. You hit the nail on the head there. Being able yeah. to adapt in the moment. When, you know, when your client says, well, you know, I don't like that question, or I don't want to go down that road, or I don't want to open up that, that can of worms. What do you do then as a coach? Well, great. What would be helpful for you? Love it. <laughs> So if we stay out of feeling, oh, God, I asked the wrong question. That didn't help. I'll say, well, thanks for telling me. What would be helpful for you? I might even say, what would be a question I could ask you now that would really make a difference? <laughs> Seriously. Mm -hmm. Because yeah, they kind of know, um, which means I have to let go of any need for being an expert. I'm not an expert. I might be an expert on the coaching process, but I'm not an expert on their life. And I love that because it is exploring. We're exploring the moment and what the client wants to be different. Mm -hmm. They only come to you to have something be different, mm -hmm. not to talk about what's the same. I yeah. mean, what's going well is a start, but eventually it's like, well, what's next? What do you want to be different? How would you like to change that? Mm -hmm. What's coming up, you know? Which is very um, much future-based thinking, isn't it? Because that's- Future-based, yes. It's yeah. So, so let's go there. The difference between psych, being a psychologist or seeing a therapist versus coaching. I mean, you I couldn't think of anyone more qualified to help us explore that answer. Well, you just stated it there. It, it, coaching is more future based. Now, a lot of the early descriptions and trainings in coaching said therapy's about the past, coaching's about the future. No. There's a lot of therapy that is solution focused, that is future oriented, that is, but, but it stops when the problem is solved. 
Now, a lot of people went to therapists who really needed a coach, but there weren't coaches back in the 1980s. You know, 90% of people that probably saw a psychologist and a therapist, most of whom were women, by the way, uh, could have benefited from coaching more so. But in America specifically, not Australia or Canada, we relied on the healthcare system to pay for it. So I had to give people a diagnosis, a diagnosis like 309.28, adjustment disorder with mixed emotional features. <laughs> well, that sounds like waking up in the morning to me. Um, <laughs> so, so I kind of normalize living as having things we face every day. How does our intention fit into our goals? So f intentions about the future Anxiety and fear are about the past or what could happen. They have no basis in reality. You know, it's not simple, but it's, can I say it's not simple, but it's easy? I mean, it's easy to understand if something happened in the past and it still influences us, we got to break that influence. If we're worried about something that's going to happen in the future, it's paralyzing us because we're not experiencing what could be. Um, so the distinction between coaching and therapy, context, the context of the relationship, what does the client think they're hiring you for? Are they hiring you to get fixed, to overcome a severe mental block, illness, anxiety to the point where they can't live their life? Uh, I don't want to say normally, cause there is no normal where they can't move forward. If somebody can move forward, it can be coaching. Even if they cry, even if they get angry. If it's a perpetual sort of example, then maybe you need to say, is there another professional that might be helpful to you? I didn't say therapist. It could be a minister, a priest, an uncle, a massage therapist, a, you know, a trip to Peru to do ayahuasca, whatever. But I don't mention that. And I let them say, is there something else that might be beneficial to you to overcome or to delve into this challenge? And they may or may not be able to continue coaching. That takes their energy, their resources, and their money. Can they do both at the same time? So my roundabout way of talking about that is the distinction is really, what does the client want to achieve or create or learn? And do they understand that they're not broken. They're just having experiences that inform them. Which is great to find out in the early days of the conversation. What, yeah. if, somebody, what if somebody does enter into a uh, coaching relationship and they, they think that they want coaching because they know no other, but they get in there and they go, oh, hang on a minute, you know, you're not really telling me anything. Like you're not really telling me how to how I can solve my problems. You're not really. What would you say then? Well, I, I I do say you're right. I'm not because coaching is a way to elicit new thinking, like uh, new ways of thinking, believing. You know, um, helping you say things you've not said out loud, hear things you've not said, think out loud with a committed listener. That's what I am, and then together will help you find the intelligence or the ideas that you already have within you. 
I will make one distinction. The coaching profession often says the client already has the answers. Not 100% true. Sometimes the answers or the next step comes from the magic of the conversation between coach and client. It's not that they have the answers buried deep within. The answers might come from the conversation, from new intuition, from new insights to new ahas. Does that make sense? I mean, 100%. you know, and when I talk about going deeper in coaching, I know I haven't mentioned that phrase, but emotions in coaching are okay because if people express emotions, it's energy in motion, it shifts, emotion. So if we want to go deeper, I call coaching snorkeling. We're not scuba diving 142 feet in a sunken ship. That's scary. Just under the surface, little goggles clarify, but they might see something they didn't see before, a different perspective. Um, so going deeper requires knowing that most of the time what clients think they want is not what they want. And it's not that they're hiding it. They don't yet know. They know no other. Yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, I love that snorkeling versus scuba diving analogy. Uh, so that sounds like we're getting naked. I mean, I mean, sorry, listeners. It yeah. sounds like emotionally, <laughs> yeah. that's where I want to go next. So your book. Uh, and tell me about, uh, yeah, tell me, I, I mean, first of all, how did you come up with the title? And well, second okay. of all, yes. what does that really mean? So it's an evocative title on purpose. When people share something that is a truth that they don't share with everybody, it it feels like you're disrobing. It feels like you're naked. It, one of the most common dreams when I used to teach psychology of dreams was being naked in public. One of the top eight dreams, being naked in a room. You know, I mean, that was so feeling when you reveal something, self-disclosure needs to be in the right place at the right time with the right person. Just like you know, it's not about nudity, but it feels like, oh, my God, I'm disrobed. They can see me, you know. So I call it getting naked, but emotionally. Um, your authentic self being uncovered at work, at home, and relationships in life. The key thing is you don't get naked with everybody. So the stranger on a train syndrome, you start talking to somebody. Hey, you may never see them again. No big deal. But if you share with somebody that's not trusting your vulnerable your vulnerability will be magnified now i shared with somebody i shouldn't have shared with and i'm hurt they told somebody else they told somebody else so you only need a few people maybe one or two or three where you can really be yourself and women have always been better at that than men men are getting better i hope i, I see some evidence it's going to be a survival thing of humanity but to be able to have men to share with or men who can share with even a woman that's authentic and um, a committed listener and trusting. And sometimes as a coach or as a great listener or as a good friend or whatever, you don't have to fix. You just have to hear it. You just have to hold the space and say, is there anything else I can do for you? Or how does it feel now that you've shared that? Does that make sense? I mean, that's a lot I said, but. No, it, that's what getting naked is to me. Yeah, it it totally does, and it's the word that I like too is transparency. 
um, yes you, the, emotional transparency emotional yeah. transparency to be able to uh have those conversations where there is that trust isn't there to be able to get naked and and ask yes. the right question at the right time in the right, right place with the right person i think that right person part is really really important because i've always uh you know in the work that i've done i've done a lot of research in in the sporting world i have this program does your personality match your game style so the way that you play tennis is it actually in line with your personality now in my research 70 percent of the time there was alignment now again i'm not saying those 30 percent of people where there wasn't an alignment so their personality was say outgoing but they played tennis really defensively i'm not saying that's that's wrong but it was fascinating when there was a disconnect because they weren't they weren't exposed uh, to other ways of playing tennis when they were younger. So right. it was almost like they the environment created a certain way for them to play that missed that didn't match their personality. And what happened, especially in the teenage years, is they quit. And I was thinking about as you were talking earlier about teenage boys, this is where it really begins about not being transparent and not opening up and sharing. Uh, and, and getting naked with a couple of close friends or or, or a coach right. or a parent a coach, or right. an auntie or an uncle to be able to share yeah. their feelings so so it's tracked and suppressed and and I see that in in the workplace as well and, and like you I think it needs to evolve it needs to change so what role can we as coaches play if we see that I mean it might not be a teenage client but it say a young client in the workplace that you know that they are suppressing who they are and they are not happy and they are not living true to their personality in, in whatever they're doing. What, uh, where would you go there as a coach? Well, in some way, shape or form, I would ask a question after I've developed rapport, this wouldn't be in the first or second session, but I might say to my client, so what's something about yourself that you haven't told me? Or what's, what's something you don't share with many people? And what does it feel like when you share that? What holds you back? You know, I'm, so I'm not getting into psychotherapy, but I am getting into a personal, transpersonal, transformative sort of coaching. It's not just about the transactional, being a better leader, doing better at this job, keeping your goals on track, but who are you? as you move along this path and what fires you up, what holds you back? You know, there might be some old messages like, oh, my dad never told me. I mean, we can look at the past as a coach. We just don't stare at it, is <laughs> <laughs> the way I'd put it. <laughs> and, I, and I think the message that I, I try to relate to people is that if I become a trusting person as a coach and they feel the warmth and that empathy that empathic listening that i offer means i can ask questions that are a little bit edgy like well what's something about the workplace that you don't share with too many people how you show up what's your biggest challenge uh how do you feel when yeah i mean this question's about that. And I actually like to avoid the word, how do you feel or how does that make you feel? I like to say, what is your experience like? Because that's broader. You know, I mean, it, it's just,
that how does that make you feel it's just oh god it just sounds like a robotic response i don't want that um and it doesn't tick off a lot of the population won't we'll just know. go don't ask me that <laughs> the other thing about this topic emma is i'm seeing some shifts i wrote an article for forbes coaching council probably three years ago now based on um emotions in the workplace and how that's changing the the new ceo of goldman sachs at the time trained all his managers to be transparent and when people came to work and you say hi how are you you really want to know the answer to that you're not just hi how are you fine walk on down the hall we really want to know how are you not the whole story oh i just had we just found out my 16 year old daughter's pregnant oh my god so then the manager could say, I can only imagine how stressful that is. Thanks for sharing. If there's anything I can do to support you, let me know. That's it. Warmly and empathically. But you don't need to go into the story. And then as a manager or as a coach, in my case, I might even have to self-disclose. Um, you know, there's some personal things that occurred in my life over my course of coaching uh, with my daughters, with a, a wife who passed away, and I didn't share with everybody, but eventually I had to say, you know, I had this experience too, and I just want you to know it it drained me for a bit, And I, but I want to be present for you because this is what gives me energy. This is what recharges my battery. I hope that makes sense. It's, it's, yeah. So we can self-disclose as a coach, but don't make it your session. You self-disclose just enough to be human. Those little checking conversations are so, so important and, and need not be overlooked. I, a funny, quick, funny story about my life when I moved from Melbourne to Murfreesboro, Tennessee to, to play college tennis. I was walking. I was walking. I don't what a shift. I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I know Melbourne and I know Tennessee. What a shock. Yeah. It, it was. And that first week on campus i'll never forget it people would walk past me and say, yo what's up what's up right <laughs> so i i would stop and and tell them like they'd say what's up so i thought they actually wanted to know how my day was or what's oh. up well, you know i i'd start this oh well you know thanks for asking and, and they'd look at me like or some of them would just wouldn't even turn they would just go what's up and they just keep walking past me and i was like didn't you just ask me like how like to me, I, I I just that took me a real a long time to get my head around that that sentence in itself, which just reminded me of that memory that I don't think I've ever shared with anyone. Well, so that's interesting. Maybe and in, maybe culturally in Australia, when somebody says hi, how are you? They really are asking. Yeah, wow. sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, definitely I I was I am up for a chat, speaking of chatting and energy. I attended one of your fabulous webinars recently around energy and the power of eight. I'd love to touch on that because it was super powerful, the experience that I had. And yeah, I'd love to, if you don't mind sharing a little bit about uh, that, that talk. I know we don't have the whole length of time to, to go into detail, but could you share with us about the power of eight? Yeah, so so given that my background is a doctorate in transpersonal psychology in 1977, I studied all the studies of consciousness, Eastern philosophies, Western, you know, all the all the stuff that was why my daughter calls woogity boogity. But nowadays we have research and scientific data 
that shows how the power of intention, some can call it prayer, some can call it intentional messaging or thought, whatever. The power of eight was uh, created by a woman years ago who wrote The, the Field. Um, and guys, I'm blanking on her name right now. I'm, that's so embarrassing. I've got the book right over there. Um, Lynn, Lynn McTaggart. Lynn McTaggart. Oh, good. My brain still works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Lynn McTaggart, she and her husband started doing these power of eight, eight people in the group holding an intention for somebody specifically. And he would, the, the husband would attach neurological measures and show the differences that happened. Then they start doing it across geography, like thousands of miles away. Somebody would hold an intention for somebody else in Perth, Australia from San Francisco, you know, um, change, notable change happened. So it's not so woogity boogity as it is. I called my workshop that you came to the uh, attention to intention. So in coaching, we want to have an intent for the session. We want to kind of model the power of positive intention. But there's also a process, the power of eight groups that I've been part of for five years. We've we've met once a month and somebody, one of the participants will have an intention, a physical healing, uh, overcoming a stress. Uh, they want to improve blank. And we all hold them in an intention for eight minutes. And then people share their their visualizations and their so that's not coaching but it fits the coaching philosophy of helping uh helping us and helping people we work with learn from non-ordinary consciousness let me just put it that way mm-hmm. yeah 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 that's super powerful and and uh we'll put a link in the show notes uh to learn more if anyone wants to because i'm super curious on energy and intention so what advice have you got for coaches to set an intention how do you set an intention for a coaching session where you don't know what you're going to be focusing on as the coach Mm -hmm. oh well that's that's the best because i I mean, my client might send me a prep form that says what they want to use coaching for, but by the time they show up, it could be something different. So I always start with some sort of a, so my advice is start your coaching sessions with a moment of settling in. What's a follow-up from last week? How did you do with the intentions you had, et cetera? But it's like, is there anything else you need to say or do before we start coaching today? So that implies I'm not asking for a whole story, but I'm. what does it need for you to be settled in, to become present? There we go. Presence, again, is the key thing to that. And to say, okay, so what do you bring today? What would be a good use of our time? That's when you start the coaching. And the other thing that I teach my mentees when I do mentor coaching, you can spend 10, 15, maybe even 20 minutes creating the agreement, which is the number three competency now and the eight, because all your coaching skills can show up in creating the agreement because you're clarifying, formulating, using inquiry. Is that what you want to have different? What are you learning now? The agreement might change. And then the last 10 minutes or 30 minutes of a coaching session is, 
So what have you? What insight have you gotten? What are you going to do? By when? How will you follow up, etc.? So all of that is about the intention of not knowing is why I even show up. I don't have an agenda for the client when I show up. They might have sent me the prep form and I got kind of a, you know, an idea, but I don't want to say, so you sent me this, you want to start with uh, creating more of blank. No, don't jump into it. Just have that on the side. And let it evolve. And then ask them if that's still what they want coaching on because yeah. something could happen. Yeah. And that's not a priority anymore is what it was when they filled it out. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. So I'm going to go there. Be in the moment. That's It's always to be in the moment. And I'm in the moment right now and I have to go there because this is a sports and a business coaching podcast. So we have to we have to talk about golf. It's very I'm very I'm on I'm on the golf train right now. I'm my goal <laughs> is to break 80 this year. That is that's my personal goal. So I don't know about you, but I play with a lot of people where their negative self-talk. It's actually sometimes hard. And as a coach, like again, I want to jump in the space and help them if they think that they're going to miss the part, like they'll always miss that part. Like the the self-talk is um, right. And sometimes even the 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 gender uh, analogies. Oh, I left my skirt back on that part. Or I, I just, like, I can't tell you how many times I've gone to tee off and, no, no, the ladies' tees are, are up there. Why, why are you teeing off from the whites? Uh, uh-huh. Oh, the men's tees, you know. So I have to go there. Do you use coaching on yourself as an avid golfer as well? And what do you do when you're listening to the three other people you're playing with? Their language, you don't know these people, their language is like horrendous. How do you how do you block that out? Or do you start yeah. coaching them? <laughs> three. Well, three it's interesting because I, play, I, I played a lot of tennis too, by the way. When oh, okay. I, well, tennis. Well, I mean, I played tennis in high school. Both my knees are replaced because of tennis. I'm a little older than you. And I did break 80 a few times in golf, but I haven't done that recently because things have changed, but I still love hitting good shots. And when I play with people who said, I mean, I don't try to coach them unless they ask for it. I don't want to give them advice or, you know, I said, are you aware when you said, I don't want to hit it in the lake? Your brain doesn't understand. Don't it. You're, if you, if you're thinking, I don't want to hit it in the lake, your brain is saying hit it in the lake because that's what's on your mind. Instead, you might try. I want to place it right down there on the right side of the fairway as best I can and have a good approach to the green. Now, it doesn't always happen, Like, but look at the pros. I mean, sometimes I can say, I can hit it as well as Tiger because he hit it in the water. He chanked one into the trees. I can do that. But the negative self-talk controls a lot of our muscles and our thought pattern. Sports are a great a great way, whatever sport somebody plays, it could be pickleball, it could be tennis and golf, whatever, bowling. If you're in presence, any good, I mean, look at Tom Brady, you know, 40, what is he, 44 years old now and still throws the ball like crazy because he sees it, he visualizes it and he knows the motion, but he believes in his arm and the process. Take any good athlete, um, negative self-talk is, um, 
a predominant way to be less than. Positive self-talk goes back to intention, that power of eight. We visualize how we want it to be. And the more often we do that, the more often our body or our mind will follow. Now, it still takes practice to achieve perfection. I mean, there's some shots in golf. I wish, I, you know, the sh if, if I don't get on the green in regulation, my short game sucks. You know, I mean, that's where I lose strokes. I'm 10 yards off the green short. I hit a little chip and then I'm 20 feet past the hole. But it's still fun. I mean, I, I'm on a beautiful piece of property. It's beautiful. Um, and I get better the better I play. I don't play. I only play twice a week now, you know, so. Um, so how do you get over that shot that you do, Shank? How fast are you able to train your brain to make the energy about what have you got to do next? Right? Well, yeah, I mean, that's going to take practice. I, when I tell people, look, everybody goes out to the driving range and they're smacking their driver. If you play 18 holes of golf, you're only going to use your driver 14 holes. You need to practice the wedge and the a short uh, the approach and the sand trap. I mean, because you're going to, you know, I mean, I'm no golf instructor, but that's where you gain the skill set. So in coaching, life coaching, leadership coaching, it's what are the skills that make a difference in the fine, what are they, the nuances of your job and or life? I mean, I'm a, I'm a coach on a whole person, so... Your life affects work and your work affects life. Um, in the workplace today, what you knew two years ago is not true today. It's a changing, there, there's nothing that's staying the same as it used to in the 50s or 60s. Um, so I know, I know I'm know i doing a lot of roundabout conversation, but it's all connected to me because I think whether it's sports, whether it's art, whether it's uh, cooking, Whatever you do well outside of your work work is informative <laughs> about how you learn and what you enjoy doing. Because it, and that reflects your life. I was just about to say, it'll reveal, your character is revealed. Whether we, we can hide from it, we can suppress it, we can say, no, that doesn't apply to me. That's how I am right. at home. I'm different at work. But the more you can show up as your authentic self, I think the uh, the better. It reminded me too something you said earlier that I wanted to I wanted to go back to when you when you ask people about something about yourself that you don't normally share. I've asked that question as well of, of clients, and then I've also taken it one step further and said, of those answers, what do you know to be true? What do you actually do? As in do you demonstrate that behavior and what are you faking? <laughs> and that, oh. that is a whole different ball game, especially in today's world. And when they can get really naked on that answer, it reveals so much for them to, to be able to act on. Yeah, I can imagine that question landing like a thud early on. But maybe later on, the person says, you know, when you asked me that question about what am I faking, here's what came to me. I'm pretending that I'm better at this than I am. or I'm pretending that I know what I'm doing or whatever. That's faking. You know, you could use the same mm -hmm. word, what are you pretending? And in, and in sports, you may go back to that analogy. It's like, 
one of my uh, so I took tennis training from Galway, Timothy Galway in the 70s for tennis, not for the stuff he created later with coaching. I actually did a course with him in Colorado on the inner game of tennis because I wanted to play better tennis. But his whole thing was learn what you're learning while you're learning it. See the ball, hit the ball. Where would the ball go? Where did you want it to go? We'll work later on how to hold the racket and how, you know, but just, so that's what happens in coaching is what are you learning now from what you just did or didn't do or said or didn't say? And in golf, what did I just learn from that shot that I may want to go practice or do different the next opportunity? You know, how many times in golf does somebody say, okay, this is not a tournament. I'm going to hit another one. And then the second shot is great. Well, what did you do differently? Get second chances in golf. You don't often get second chances in the moment but of life. But um, I think it's great. I love I love taking the wisdom of sport or some other avocation and how does that show up in your work life because it's all blends together. Singing to my philosophy, Dr. Pat. <laughs> you and I, yeah. Timothy Gore, I mean, I, you know, the, the moment where he says the opponent in one's head is more formidable than the player down the other side of the net. And in golf, the opponent of the ball and the position of the ball is more uh, of an opponent than yeah. being able to be in the moment to change the mindset to visualise the, the shot is something that we can all take. Uh, there's been so many gems from this episode, from snorkeling to work-life balance is a myth, and uh, we don't see people as broken and the sheep in wolves' clothing. I mean, uh, I don't know what the through line is going to be, but my editor is going to have a, a, a joy with this one. I know uh, she's a <laughs> she's a horse whisperer, so she's going to love the the circus story. And uh, there's energy in motion. There's energy in this conversation. So one last coaching tip. I, I know there's so many you have, but what advice or not advice, I'm going to take that word back. What's one yep. coaching tip you'd like to share with our audience as we are, as we say farewell? If you're involved in professional coaching, you need to have a self-reflective practice. Record some sessions, listen to them, have a mentor. If you don't have an ongoing coach all the time, then hire a mentor for a few sessions uh, and a, a more experienced coach. Um, you know, listen to yourself, practice, um, learn what you would do differently. It's not a matter of better. And we get we get better as we learn maybe from techniques or even the, the knowledge that happens in coaching, the, the academic part. But eventually it's just like, how do you be a coach, not just do coaching? You heard it here from Dr. Pat Williams, Getting Naked on the Coaching Podcast. <laughs> Being a coach, what a, an amazing journey that we're all on, all on. So thank you so much for listening and thank you, Dr. Pat. You're very welcome. Thanks, Emma. The Coaching Podcast is sponsored by Transition Coach for Athletes, a global coaching, mentoring, and U.S. placement service. The service helps athletes navigate the often challenging world of choosing your best college fitness performance. Visit www.transitioncoachforathletes.com. That's the number four. If you company are interested in sponsoring the Coaching Podcast, reach out to info.com 
at emmadoyle.com.au.